0: And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the world. Uh, Edgar, award-winning novelist and Palo Alto attorney Susan Wolf, is back. And she's back after 27 years uh, of, of not writing, and, and, which is crazy. We're going to have that conversation. But she's back with the State velocity. Oh, this is a cool, cool book. Uh, she is uh, a legal scholar. Uh, for many years uh, and have written a riveting legal thriller. Uh, and uh, I welcome you on the show uh, today, Susan. How are you?
1: I'm doing well.
0: Thanks for having me. Now tell me this. Why 27 years? What, what took so long?
1: Well, <laughs> what, what took so long, uh, I would say uh, life intervened. <laughs> I wrote my first book. Um, actually, uh, I started it while I was on maternity leave with my first daughter. Mm. And, uh, when I finished the book, I actually sold a second book to the publisher, uh, based on an outline, but it just turned out that particular book didn't work out. And then it came to pass that because I'm also a lawyer and we lived in Palo Alto, which was expensive even then, and we needed my income. Um, I really needed to go back to work as a lawyer, at least part time. And so I went back to work part-time and finished uh, the last billable hour. And then we had a second daughter, and my jobs kept getting more and more complicated. And I always believed I would find a way to do baby book law, baby book law. I could do it all, (laughs) but it never really happened. And one sort of example of my attempt, at one point I decided that between 5.30 and 7 in the morning, I would go to my local Starbucks and work on my book two mornings a week. And at that point, my older daughter was nine years old, and she decided to come with me. So twice a Mm -hmm. week at 5.30, she would sit there very quietly and do her homework while I worked on my book. And it was a lot of fun. But what happened was that was like the last moment of leisure in my life, and I just couldn't keep it up.
2: So eventually
1: Mm -hmm. I had to stop being a lawyer to do my second book.
0: Wow. Okay, that's that's pretty amazing. That is pretty well. You, you you as they say, you definitely get a damn thing with uh, escape velocity. Where did this um, book come from? Where what was the inspiration of doing this book?
1: Well, the original um, thought for the book came from my work as an in-house lawyer in a number of different Silicon Valley software companies, mm. and. What I found, I loved working in house. But what I discovered that in a company, there are always a few people you find who, for whatever reason, aren't that interested in actually doing their jobs. (laughs) (laughs) It turned out. Just a few. (laughs) Just a few. And it turned out that um, this idea formed in my mind what would happen? if we had a character who had a way of dealing with those people in ways that more conventional means, you know, would not succeed with. And that was the original idea. Um, And then I needed a character to take us through this kind of set of events at the company. And um, I, I thought up Georgia, who is sort of young, inexperienced, comes from a very different world, and that way she could experience what was happening for the first time, right along with the reader.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: turns out she's, you know, a little bit tougher, a little bit more savvy than people around her might think, and that allows her to get herself into situations where she can tell what's going on almost as a fly on the wall and mm-hmm. then come up with ways to deal with it.
0: So Georgia Georgia uh, Griffin is the antagonist in the in, in, in the in the book, and yes. uh, she you, you, you send her through a bunch of stuff. You send her through a lot of stuff. Um, now, let me ask you this: what what was your what is your writing process for this? Because you know you you, you were kind of, if you will, for like a, you were out of the game for 27 years. I don't know if you were writing in between that time. But, you know, of course, you kind of lose certain flow and certain things. How did you get back into it to have the discipline to write? What was your writing process? Was was it going back to Starbucks and starting that all over again? Well,
1: actually, I was a little bit worried when I stopped working as a lawyer because I had had such a fixed daily routine for so long. Mm. I gave myself a writing routine that I still use today. And so basically, um, mechanically, what I would do, I get up by 5.30, Um, I needed a commute because I always had a commute, so I commute to my coffee shop, get my coffee, come back, go into my writing room, and then I write for 90 minutes, and then I take a break, it's either meditation or running, and then I work another 90 minutes, and then I take the other break, and then another 90 minutes, and I'm done for the day. So in order to have the discipline to get the book done, um, that is the routine that I have. Now, how I went about the book, I started with the idea that I wanted to really show people what it was like to be in a Silicon Valley company, and I had some uh, events that had happened to me in real life that I knew could kind of be the spine of the book or part Mm -hmm. of the plot, Mm -hmm. and so then I started working on the character, and I kept writing first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, until I felt I had the character's internal voice. Mm -hmm. And once I had that internal voice, at that point I stopped to really flesh out the plot, and I did it with post-its on a great big sheet of graph paper, and I just put all the scenes down until I felt I could see cause and effect all the way through to the outcome. Brilliant. And only at that point, at that point, then I could really go back and start writing the chapters.
0: That was a lot of posted notes. I could only imagine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's great big graph papers. So oh, they can save man. It.
0: Okay. <laughs> that was, that's a lot of posted notes right there. Uh, uh, I'm sure, I hope you got stock in it in your portfolio uh, so you can make some of that money back. Um, <laughs> so talk to me about, about Ken Madigan. Uh, uh, in, in the book and, and his relationship with Georgia
1: well, so uh Georgia, to say a little bit about her background uh for people that haven't you know looked at the book, she comes from a con artist background, and uh, it's sort of the family business, and right. she has been groomed to come into the family business by a very loving, funny, clever, appealing father and Georgia doesn't want to be a con artist. She adores her father, but she just thinks it's kind of no account to (laughs) spend your time conning people out of their money. And Mm -hmm. so she decides to set off on, you know, a, a better life for herself. When she gets to the Silicon Valley company, she's hired by this person you mentioned named Ken Madigan. And Ken Madigan is a slightly uptight military very straight shooter who's in charge of the legal department. And he takes a real interest in Georgia, and she begins to form a real bond with him because it's somebody who cares about her in this new world. And I would say Ken Madigan is kind of in the book as a, as a force for good. I mean, he represents a real alternative way of living Mm -hmm. to the life that she's been brought up to and the father that she adores. So I kind of feel that throughout the book, she's kind of forging her own path. But she's got her very charming father on one shoulder, and she's got Ken Madigan on the other shoulder. And it's a question of who's going to prevail.
0: Well, she's also, uh, you know, she's kind of gone through a little hell, if you will, uh, to say the least, I mean she she was uh, sleeping in a car, uh, and she had a, she had a what a fifteen year old sister. Uh, what is it, Katie Ann? Talk to us a little bit about that part. Well, yeah, say away way, folks. But I'm just saying this is a this is a crazy story. She's not the most <laughs> successful car <coroner>. artist.
1: <laughs> well, what happens is when she decides that she's going to make a break for it. She just has enough money to get her old car out to Silicon Valley where there's supposed to be a lot of good jobs. And she has to sleep in her car because she cannot possibly afford the rent. And so the goal is to get a job before the money runs out completely Mm. because what's she going to do then? So she leaves behind a 15-year-old sister um, who, as she said, needs a better life than the one she's being groomed for, and she's very committed to her sister, and she wants to make enough money to get into an apartment so that she can bring Katie Ann out of her bad situation in time for Katie Ann to start her junior year of high school. And that is a very big motivation for her once she gets a job and sees some kind of sketchy things are happening in the company. She wants to straighten the company out because she's got to keep this job Because she's got to do right by KDN.
0: Wow. Okay. And the plot thickens. You know, it sounds like something that we literally can be happening or has happened right now. And there's some really crazy things uh, that's happening in the corporate world. I guess, you know, we just recently heard about what happened with Uber. You know? (laughs) Right? It's like, really? Are these adults doing this? This is, wow. Okay. You said that publicly? Okay, the mic was on. Wow. It's amazing, these personalities that, that you know, one of my favorite um, uh, shows uh, is, is Billions. I don't know if you've watched that show. I have. Uh, with Paul Diamanti and, and um, I, I forgot the, the other guys. But it's, 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 you know, these two, one is a billionaire uh, in tech, and he's completely crooked, kind of, you know, like a, a Bernie Madoff kind of cat. And then you have this district attorney who's equally as corrupt, but supposedly on the side of the law. And these guys go head to head. And, I mean, it's you know, I, 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 when, I'm, when I'm going through this work that you've done, I'm seeing some of those, those same parallels of just how crazy. This is a great, great throw. You did a, an amazing job with it. How long did it take you from start to finish?
1: From start to finish, it took me a long time. I did several drafts of this book. Uh, It took me almost five years from start to finish.
0: Wow. Is that right? So you took, you you kind of, well, you took the time with it. How did it it come to you over time? I mean, what is your, like, capture, your capture process like? You know, you get an idea, you know, you wake up, you might have a dream or an idea, whatever, you get started in your day, and then all of a sudden you say, I'm going to go and do my 90 minutes, and you forgot what it was. Do you have various different processes that you use to, 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 to capture your ideas uh, as, as these characters begin to speak to you? You know,
1: what happens is once you get to the point where you know a character well enough, then you can kind of wait and hear what they have to say to each other. And it sounds funny, and I don't mean to be mystical, but there comes a point where if you kind of know your different characters, they are going to begin acting out their own personalities. And so what will happen, you know, because I have this very um, specific writing schedule, what happens is you know you're going to sit down again the next day, and so your brain keeps working on the story. It's, It's actually quite fun. And so, you know, like while you're doing other stuff, all of a sudden, you'll hear a bit of dialogue, or you'll think, oh, wow, I know what that guy would do. And then you've got something that you can, like, sit down and go with the next day.
0: Absolutely fascinating. What, so what are your tools of the trade? You know, 27 years now, and we'll talk about, you know, you won the Edgar, uh, uh, the, the Edgar Award for your first uh, book, The Last B- uh, Billable Hour. Yes, but how how has how has the industry shifted? But how have you shifted in terms of the tools that you use then versus what you use now?
1: So I would say it is true. There was a, a pretty big gap. Now, mind you, I read like a crazy person, and I was managing to do that even when I was doing other things. So I was kind of keeping up with certain trends. I mean, one thing that definitely has happened in the 27 years is that books have gotten a little bit shorter and faster paced. So what happens is you have got to, like, basically kind of hit the very first chapter. You're already, the story's already going, and you're coming into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And there's just not a lot of patience for scene setting or for building up a storyline. So I think books have become faster paced. And I, I guess, you know, that's because there's now so much competition for people's attention with the internet is probably the, the biggest thing
0: mm-hmm. that,
1: you know, people just don't have the same amount of time and leisure that they used to have.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The
1: other thing I would say is just talking about the publishing industry generally is mm-hmm. I think what has happened, um, maybe like partly due to, well, eBooks and the Internet again, what has happened is that self-publishing is a real sort of burgeoning market now. And the good thing about that is there's no longer a gateway the way there used to be. Now, if you really want to publish your book, you can publish your book. And that's the Mm -hmm. good news. The bad news is that once you publish your book, it's not so easy to get noticed as it would be, you know, like 27 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is you need to find some way to capture people's attention just so that they know about your book Mm -hmm. um, in order to be successful. And so I just feel that, you know, the the tools of the trade – have changed a certain amount um, because of the Internet and the self-publishing industry.
0: How do you think – I mean, Kindle kind of changed the game. I mean, my goodness. I I remember um, when there was talk about, uh, you know, a a digital book or digital reading device. And it was like, you know, having a conversation with the Jetsons or something that you were trying to figure out, right? You were trying to figure out how the hell would that be possible? That's not, no, that doesn't make any sense. And then I remember that first uh, uh, edition of the Kindle, which was kind of now looking back is archaic. And now I'm looking at the new Kindles and I'm like, I have access to books that I could never in a million years carry with me uh, on vacation or to the library. I have them in this device where I can sit and read them and go through them and take notes and all of this, my God, 27 years is a person. And so, right? And so what, what has that been like? What has the impact of the digital uh, uh, market done for you as, a, as an author today versus back then?
1: Well, you know, interestingly enough, when my first book uh, came out, The Last Billable Hour, it came out, of course, as a hardback and mm-hmm. did well. And so then it went into something that was called. Yeah,
0: obviously won award. I mean, good Lord, yeah, it did very well.
1: <laughs> it did do well. And then it went into something called mass market paperback.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, it cost, I don't know, seven or eight bucks. And that was what you got in airports. That was what, I mean, most people read. And so my book sold many, many multiples in trade paper to what it did in hardback. And I think what has happened is that e-books generally have kind of taken over that mass market paperback. And so now what I think has happened is that you still, I mean, you can do a lot of sales of e-books. Um, there are multiple different platforms that you can use that, that people can choose to, to to buy on. And there's this kind of instant gratification. If you're uh-huh. sitting somewhere and you think of a book that you're interested in,
2: uh-huh. you can just
1: like get the book and start reading it.
2: Uh-huh. So in a
1: way, it's, it's more convenient than the old mass market paperback. But I kind of think those two are interchangeable. Uh-huh. Well, it just seemed to me that Everybody always bought hardbacks. Either Uh to me, if you were a library and it's going to get a bunch of uses, or if you wanted to give a gift to someone and impress them, or maybe if for whatever reason the book comes out and you just can't wait to read it. I mean, that happens to me, by the way, with Tana French. I have all her books in hardback Uh
2: because the minute
1: they come out, I just want to read them. But for most people, they would wait for the mass market paperback to come out because it was just so much less expensive.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: now you can just do it as an ebook. And so to me, the majority of people who read now, I think, and I haven't really looked at the numbers on this, but I, I feel pretty confident many more people read ebooks now than read hardbacks
0: or paperbacks of a given book. Don't, mm-hmm. don't you think? Oh, I know for a fact, cause I'm a, you know, I, I'm 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 like a Gen Xer, so I'm like a hybrid between the Boomers and the Generation Y. And so I, uh, you know, when I heard, first heard about the concept of an e-reader, I was like, eh, I love the feel of a book and holding the book and smelling the book and, and, and the dog earring and just it's an intimate relationship with a, with a book. You know, it's nothing like it. But then also because I'm kind of in the, I'm a I'm a tech guy and then you know I do you know I've got a radio show I've got a video show I've got a blog and I said man you know it would really be nice to be able to uh, go th- to have all of my books in one place that I can have easy access to uh, wherever I'm at so i I I don't have to worry about geographical location and then all of a sudden I, like I said I got that first edition of the Kindle and kept up with them and then they evolved over time to where they are now. And I'm like, oh, my God, how can I live without this thing? You yeah. know, and it's like I pick up a regular book, uh, and it's like foreign to me almost. It's like you didn't write a – you know, it's like some people probably straight to Kindle. They don't even do a paperback.
1: Yeah, uh, that's or,
0: true. Or hardcover. And I'm like, oh, that you know, so I'm, I'm okay with that because I can instantly download it, and that's great. But when somebody sends me a book, I'm like, oh, what's this? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's almost like a foreign object, and it's really wild. So I think you're right. Also, I remember reading, I think it was in Time Magazine or something, uh, that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the novels, uh, especially some of the, the more raunchy ones, um, when you had those, especially for women, because I think women really drove and still to this day drives the publishing market. Um, they would have these books that they didn't want necessarily their husbands or their kids to see them reading and, and didn't want to see people read, reading that book in public with the cup. Well, a Kindle is completely private.
1: You know, that is a very good point. I mean, the way I've thought of it comes around from the other end. When I'm like writing on the subway in New York or if I'm sitting in a cafe, I'm always kind of interested in what other people are reading. And it turns out you can't snoop anymore.
2: You can't snoop,
1: yep, you can't snoop, they read what they read in complete privacy, so you're absolutely yeah. right
0: yeah yeah, so i think i so I think that will cause the sales of your book to to completely skyrocket uh, just for that alone just for that premise alone um so now do you do you have uh, are you are you looking to build a new audience with this book or are some of the people who who missed you from your last book coming on board for for this for this new journey who is who is who is your reader for this for this book
1: well so what i would say is that um i definitely do still have fans from my first book because it was popular and it and it did sell it sold like over a hundred thousand copies. So there are people still who know about the book, but you know, and and a lot of people wrote to me and said, well, you know, like, where's your next book? Or you would get a review and it would say. You know, why has it been so long? Now, occasionally, I still see blogs. So there are people out there. But, you know, after 27 years, quite a few people will have forgotten about you. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I brought out a new edition of The Last Billable Hour about five months before the publication of Escape Velocity just because I wanted to kind of prime the market. I wanted to remind people. Um, and then I did this thing called a book bub promotion. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Yeah, but yeah. It's a, so for, for the audience, it's like a way that for like 24 hours, you put your book on a real sale, the e-book only, and then people can download it at the very low price. And I sold a lot of copies of the last billable hour by doing that. Um, and then when Escape Velocity came out, I mean, of course, I'm I'm looking for new readers. There's no question about that. Sure. And so I've done various things um, to try to reach out, you know, t- to new readers. It, blogs. There are a number of things that people really weren't doing before that you can now do to mm-hmm. uh-huh.
2: speak directly
1: to readers. So I have done those. But I also do feel that people who have liked Last Billable Hour are likely to want to take a chance on escape velocity.
0: Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense. So what what tool do you use to write? Uh, do you use a, a, a laptop? Do you do it by pencil? Do, you know, And how does that differ from 27 years ago to now? What is your tool <laughs> or mechanism of choice?
1: <laughs> well, what I use now is uh, I use my laptop even for drafting scenes, Unless I'm stuck. And when I'm stuck, for some reason, it still works better for me to go back to doing a pen and paper. So I will periodically do things with pen and paper, but mm-hmm. as long as it's flowing, it flows faster and, and more smoothly uh, on my computer. That's, my that's first, awesome. Go ahead. Your first shot. Well, i was well, just going to say with my first book, um, you want to talk about our cake. I had one of the first Macs. I don't know. If it was, oh, they were like this oh, flugy little box with a little. Oh, screen. I remember those. Yes. Oh, it was, but it was <laughs> glorious. I mean, the it was a <laughs> <laughs> And yes, that was it. And that's yeah. that was the tool that I used. And wow. because I was still fairly new to it, I did a lot more writing by hand then. But in the meantime, you know, I've done a huge amount of work. Like on computers, and that now is, has I have more facility with that than anything else.
0: That is that is so cool. That is, I remember those. Guys. That's great. So, talk to us a little bit about the company that she's working for, Lumina, uh, and 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 why is this such a corrupt place?
1: Well. <laughs> The thing about Lumina, and I I probably am going to be a little bit careful what I say about this because that is part of the plot. Mm
2: -hmm. What
1: happens is um, she comes into Lumina Software, and there are a set of executives that she's never been around executives before, and Mm -hmm. she's trying to kind of like – scope out the psychology of the various executives because it turns out if you're a con artist being able to kind of psych people out is is a big part of success Mm
2: -hmm. and so she
1: immediately starts thinking about who the executives are and she begins to notice that some of the executives don't get along in the way that you would sort of expect like Superficially, they get along great. Beneath the surface, there's uh, quite a bit of tension going on. And so what happens is, slowly but surely, she kind of delves into the story behind some of the executives. So I would say, for my particular book, I mean, there is a very definite story. What I would say is that in real life, there are... You know, people think of business, I think, who aren't in business, they think of it kind of like, kind of dry and possibly not that interesting. Mm -hmm. It turns out there are stunningly big personalities in business. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they bump up against each other, these huge egos, in ways that (laughs) you just couldn't imagine if you weren't sitting there witnessing them. And the truth is, These conflicts of people that just like want to have it be their way in the company, the conflict of those people is inherently interesting and it is sort of inherently riddled with a certain amount of people wanting things to go in the direction that will benefit them
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) and those
1: things are just sometimes competing. So I would say, in my case, I've got a very specific backstory, but I would say in every company that I ever worked in, there were some kind of astonishing conflicts, and there were some pretty different motives that different people had for driving Mm -hmm. the agendas they were driving.
0: How much of this book is you and your life story? (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, it's like, um, how much of Georgia – uh, is is you? How much of Lumina is some of the uh, companies you maybe you have worked for or have represented?
1: Well, so I worked. I mean, I worked in a law firm for a while. I actually did criminal defense for a while, and then I went in house. And in house, there was I worked with hmm, probably four or five like different companies, and I would say that Lumina Software. The events that – that is, the, the problems that arise that Georgia feels she has to solve to save the company, the uh-huh. problems that arise, they all happened. And so I would say that the Lumina software is an amalgam of the companies that I worked with and uh-huh. is my best expression of what the atmosphere in those companies tended to be like. As for me, how much of me is in Georgia? Well, it turns out probably quite a bit. <laughs> really? I mean, okay. People who, I mean, certainly I did not come from a con background. Right. You know, um, I never um, had quite the struggle she did. But I did come, I wouldn't say from an impoverished background, but it was a uh, there was nobody else in my family uh, that made it past high school. And then I ended Ooh. up going through law school. And oh. the feeling of kind of wanting to escape into a slightly different life, that's very much a part of my personality. And okay. it was something that was important to me. I wasn't escaping from anything like what she was. Mm-hmm. Um And I'm no trickster. (laughs) That part isn't me. Mm -hmm. But the desire to make a new life, I would say, is very much grounded in my own background.
0: What do you do to? uh, Well, it's kind of, I guess, crazy because I know you're a voracious reader. But what do you do to escape? What do you do to uh, get away uh, so that you can create?
1: Well, in addition to reading, and a lot of people can't read fiction while they're writing fiction has mm. never phased me. I can just keep going. So that's very satisfying. But I also, um, I love theater, and I love movies. Uh, so anything that has a narrative works for me. I love that. And then I like traveling. In fact, I leave on Saturday. I'm going to Africa for a couple of weeks with my daughter. Oh, and wow. so I definitely like to travel. Um, and intermittently, I get very interested in cooking for friends. And I'll do it for a while, and then I kind of wear out and fall back. <laughs> it takes me a while before I do it again. But I love it when I'm doing it.
0: <laughs> that is so awesome. So, you know, of course I have to ask, what's next? Because we don't want to have – I don't even know if I'm going to be here 27 years from now. So I can't <laughs> wait that long for the next one. You know, you're 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 publishing like Stevie Wonder used to publish uh, albums. I mean – Uh, So, you know, now that you're back, if you will, uh, are you back with a vengeance? Do you have some other stories that that we can look forward to to you telling?
1: Well, I've got a new book in the works, and this one is set in San Bernardino, California, uh, which is where I grew up. Uh, So it's got a pretty different setting. Um, And then – it's a, it, this is another thriller, and it involves three different people who team up to stop an animal abuser who uh, they believe is also a threat to people. So in the course of this book, I've got four people with pretty different reasons for like wanting to, three of them to catch the person and one of them to escape being caught. And I go into the heads of all of them uh, to look at, their competing motives.
0: Oh, That's I'll... what I would say. This, uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm ready for that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right, so the book, ladies and gentlemen, is Escape Velocity. Uh, Susan Wolf, of course, you know, is the, is the author, and you can go to author Susan Wolf uh, and wolf with an E on the end of it, .com, and, of course, you can pick it up at Amazon in your bookstores, and you can immediately download it right now. How cool is that? You know, used to be you have to either go and get the book or you have to wait for the book to come in the mail. Nope. If you've got a device, if you've got a phone, download it right now and, and start absorbing it. It is absolutely wonderful. Thank you uh, so much, Susan, for being on with me today.
1: I enjoyed it. Thanks very much.
0: Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.